challenge. I mean, and we've been working through that, or I've been working through that sort of in preparation for this stretch, just knowing that you need, need to get more out of your bottom six guys. You know, their minutes until last night have gone way up, and the top guys' minutes have come down, and you're trying to build trust and, and uh, opportunity for those other guys to recognize their role and their importance so we can get through these kind of things. It's a challenge, and, and that to me, again, is, is me uh, trusting our whole lineup, but at the same time, uh, we need some individuals to really step up and show that I can be out here at this moment and you can rely upon me. Uh, I don't know that we're there yet, um, but I believe we will get there. Um, and I believe we've, like I said, done enough good things throughout a lot of these games to, to show that we can do it. It's, it's about the consistency throughout. Fan Morning Show, Sports M590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Yeah, no, they've, they've done it at times. It wasn't 100 years ago they were beating the Kings 3-0, a Kings team that we thought was was good, still might be, but since then, falling on hard times and uh, running through California. Again, some bad teams there, but looking very responsible defensively. Not so much the case in the last four for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Losers of four straight, blowing leads in all of those games and three of the four the three most recent, all in regulation as they find themselves just a, a point in to the top three in the Atlantic Division, headed to Calgary tonight to play the Flames. This insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Today's insider, Nick Kiprios of Real Kipper and Born. Good morning, Nick. Good morning. Sun's up for Leaf Nation. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess I just feel like it feels like one of those moments though. And I've joked about it like that. There's some, sometimes they happen in November and it's, it's funny to look back on like all, oh, all the hand wringing that happened during a 115 point regular season at the beginning of the year. Oh, it all comes out in the wash. Rarely is it at this point in the season, honestly, like the, the most recent comparable I have is that uh, 1920 season that was interrupted by the pandemic in which at the, I mean, the Leafs lost to David Ayers, and then they didn't play another game until the deadline, and they were taking calls on trading away assets like Tyson Berry. That was that was the last point that I remember things being as uneven during a regular season during the Austin Matthews era. Nick, like, do do you do you agree? Do you disagree? How, how do you feel about this point in time at least in the Leafs history? Well, first of all, I, I, at the halfway point here, I I don't get a sense where the 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 road's going to go right now for the Toronto Maple Leafs, but I do know that uh, at the halfway point, you're you're looking at them and you're saying, okay, they're not they're not up there right now with some of the better hockey clubs that have shown over the first half of the season, like a, a Winnipeg, a Vancouver, Colorado, um, in their own division, Florida and Boston, of course, but they still should be a team on the outside kind of looking in or knocking on that door. So, um, you know, this, the, the recent stretch has is, is been a bit of a concern, uh, if not alarming for Leaf fans. But this is still a team that I, I believe that will make the playoffs, that will have enough. Um, but a critical part of their, their season right now is this stretch, and they're going to have to find ways to get points in Calgary tonight, Vancouver, and then finish it off in Seattle. 
Yeah, certainly not a, not an easy stretch. And that's the funny thing about this Leafs team, right? Most teams, if they're reeling and you say, oh, they got a tough stretch of games, you'd say, oh, that's going to bode really bad for them. But with this Leafs team, actually, and I'd imagine you agree, it's like this is actually their best chance to play good hockey. It's when it's a team like the Oilers where they feel like there's stars they got to match up with or it's a Flames team that's kind of rolling. Like, it seems like the better the opposition is, the the better you get out of the Leafs on, on any given night. I mean, you know, I've, I've heard you guys talk about it a ton. We've been bandying it about the the idea idea of a coaching change and you know I, I want to get your your opinion on just like the machinations behind that we've heard a lot of times of well you're not going to fire a guy well he's out on the road we heard that with Woodcroft earlier in the year and then there was the Sharks game and it ended up being a couple of days later do you think there's a world where Brad Living has made up his mind on changing the head coach but he doesn't actually pull the trigger on that for a week because the team's on the road or just with the with how precarious the season is and the position we're in can he afford to sit here and go three or four days or games while thinking yeah I am going to make a head coaching change kind of regardless of, of how this goes like do you understand what I'm asking there Kipper yeah I do Gunner and I, I can tell you that uh, I don't believe for one second that Brad Treleving's made up his mind to fire Sheldon Keefe and won't do it because he's on the road uh these guys will do whatever's necessary at any point at any time. Just ask Gerard Gallant, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you know, with a with a machine like MLSC, uh, it's certainly not a just a Brad decision. Uh, there's Brendan Shanahan. There's a board. They're usually collaborative when they when it comes to uh, running the the company as a whole. So. Uh, I, I don't believe that they're there yet. And, you know, again, if, if if you get a couple of wins in the next couple of games here, I think it settles things down. But, you know, this is also a bigger picture thing here. And I don't think it's an easy decision to fire Sheldon Keefe when he has not yet even started his extension on his new deal until next season. And uh, they're not there yet. There's no question that he's he's got a little bit of wiggle room to tighten things up defensively, and I I think uh, you're going to see a at least a, a conscientious uh, uh, effort tonight against Calgary to do that. Uh, again, the theme for Sheldon throughout his coaching career with the Toronto Maple Leafs is uh, one of self-inflicting that they sometimes bring things upon themselves by not making key decisions at the right time, not not uh, being able to be standing in the right place at the right time, uh, bad changes, extended lengths of shifts, uh, cheating out of the zone, two men behind the, the net uh, at the same time, leaving uh, uh, the slot right open. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is stuff that, again, if they can just find a way to curtail and 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 tighten up uh i think they'll see results mm-hmm. uh we we know nobody pays attention to the toronto media if you're a member of the toronto maple Leafs, the players certainly are not aware of the discourse around this team and the growing narrative and the mo the, the growing uh pressure that is mounting on their head coach but like say they did i guess say they they understood that their head coach was <laughs> was becoming more of a target of uh of criticism for for this leafs team how do you think they would respond? Like, how would that impact them? I don't. I don't expect a. a it's not a Mike Babcock thing where they like they want him fired and they're going to let down and die. And in fact, I would. I would imagine it's the opposite. Like, how how do you feel that the players 
uh, respond to, to Sheldon Keefe and, and, and how do they view him? Well, I don't think for one second that uh, Sheldon gets a contract extension this year without the support of some key players in that, that room. And uh, it's just just common sense. Uh, you do your end-of-the-year meetings. Uh, you go to some of your star players, and you're like, okay, what do you, what do you think about this, 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 and uh, what do you think of Sheldon? And like I said, I, I just don't think that uh, he's back without the support of some key guys, and I would imagine that Austin Matthews would be a, have been very supportive. Uh, and at the end of the day, he's your best player. He's your highest-paid player. Uh, it has to start with with Austin. So I, I would imagine that they they understand the pressures out there. They understand the narrative that's out there amongst uh, many Leaf fans, if not a few in the media. And they're going to have to just deal with it. They're going to have to overcome it. Uh, they got to pull for each other. Uh, I don't think anything's changed between probably the end of last season and, and this season and and wanting to continue to think that Sheldon's the guy that should lead them in this scenario. So I, I would I would hope that they're pulling for each other. And we've heard that day-old uh, cliche that uh, it's us against the world. And I hope the Leafs kind of feel that uh, tonight against Calgary. And I didn't mind the effort and, and uh, the entertainment the other night in Edmonton. Oh, and I would, hope that, I, I would hope that uh, it would carry over in Calgary tonight uh, with, with a, a feel like maybe you're down three, two in a series and, and you got to save your, your best for last. That's what I expect out of the Leafs tonight. Yeah. No, uh, no offense to the flames, but uh, playing uh, up and down bit of a fire wagon game, a little less dangerous against the flames. Well, I mean, less dangerous than against anyone than it is when you're, you're going up against Mick McDavid there. You know, I know you, you, uh, you saw the comments from Keith yesterday talking about he's halfway through the season and he still doesn't know who he can trust in, in certain spots. You know, I look at that and, you know, I'm sure he's answering a question that's posed to him, but it also, it, it does seem like a bit of a shot at the, at the GM. And, you know, I've been someone who's, critical about the moves Trilliving made, but I also look around and say, Max Tomey was the third line center on a team that went to the Eastern or the Western Conference final last year. Tyler Bertuzzi was a deadline acquisition for the best team in hockey and then was a monster. I know they lost the series, but in that series, you know, I don't look around and say there's a bunch of pieces that can't fit. I'm not saying it's a perfect roster, especially when you look at the blue line far from it. But when I saw those comments from Keith about not being able to trust guys, I mean, to me, that yeah. should be just as big of a knock on him as it is on the, the guy who put the team together in Trillo. Oh. Without a doubt, and the first thing I hear is uh, when I hear that, and the first thing I think of, Gunner, is uh, you've had 41 games to build trust with these guys. How come it hasn't happened yet? Like, that's what 82 games are for. They are a dress rehearsal for when it counts for real in the playoffs. And it's a process that, you've you've kind of missed out on uh those are the type of comments that you have as a head coach coming out of training camp where you question who you're going to trust and and who's going to show me that they can trust them in the next 41 games so he's he's behind the eight ball a little bit because he's going to have to start now if he's going to save his job he's going to have to answer those questions in in a quick 
uh, manner here on who he can trust and who he can't because uh, that's your job as a head coach is to to get to the latter part of the season and know exactly who you can trust. So I, I think it's more a reflection on on what he hasn't been able to accomplish so much as a head coach opposed to Brad Tree Living or Brendan Shanahan right now on uh, on what you've left me with. And, you know, you hope that you don't get to that question on on – on, on the roster right now you you hope that the answers are still within that room and uh that that's his job and that's his job as early as uh the first 10 minutes in the hockey game yeah and you know this guy shouldn't be the first player you think of especially early on in the game but the poster child for those for what we're talking about there kind of feels like david camp for me i mean again like i don't want to overstate what david camp is we can sit here and have an argument if he's a a touch overpaid at two six but we can also sit here and remember how important he was in those third line checking lines that we've seen him center for this team over the years. And he just, to me, feels like kind of the poster child for that. I mean, it's one thing to say, I can't find a home for Max Domi or Tyler Bertuzzi's not quite fitting. Okay, those are new pieces. But David Kampf has been here throughout Keefe's pretty much entire tenure as a Leaf. And it, it almost feels like he's forgotten how to use him. And, you know, I don't want to completely absolve Camp of any of this, but he yeah. feels like the poster child of all this for me. Well, there's no question the importance of of camp uh, the moment he arrived out of Chicago and uh, the knock on him was decent player, but you know couldn't hit the side of a barn uh, to score a goal. So um, he's come in, he's done a good job. Uh, the penalty kill, a key faceoffs, not scared to put him out there against uh, top players. I mean, he's he's proven that. Uh, in the past, but he is, he's off this year and it's trickled down into uh, the bottom six. No question about it. Uh, he's got to be a key. He's got to be a key guy to turn this thing around. Uh, but the penalty kill uh, with him on it has struggled immensely and not winning key faceoffs. So th- that, that's, that's a must uh, for, for this roster, you know, behind the big boys is to find a way to get camp going again. Uh, TJ Brody was a guy singled out specifically by Sheldon Keefe yesterday, again, in response to a question. But yeah, this is a guy that's um, on the final year of his deal in Toronto, playing on the, the top pairing with Morgan Riley, playing a ton of minutes, as is you know John Tavares, second-line center. These are a couple of guys that are very similar in age. Um, and the question has to be asked, and it's been asked plenty of, of John Tavares, considering the five-game pointless streak, and now it's it's growing with TJ Brody and considering his play, especially defensively, like where are these guys at as far as their effectiveness into their early to mid thirties? Yeah. Well, lately, nowhere near where it's been in the past. And for Brody, he is, uh, he's dropped. His play has dropped uh, immensely here. And what should be a, an easy feel for this team is, He's number two on the depth chart right behind Morgan Riley, but that that is not the case going into tonight. If you ask me, it's it's Morgan, Morgan it's Timothy Lilligren, it's Simone Benoit. Those are your, your, your real top three guys. And Jake McCabe has been a guy that uh, you love it when he's hitting hard. and mm, uh, That hymen and, hit. Oof. Like, you know, taking cavities out of uh, Zach Hyman. <laughs> but uh, his decision 
making uh, abilities have have been you know 50 50 uh Simone Benoit to me is has made tremendous strides but when you're when you're when you want to make people believe that you can contend for a Stanley Cup Simone Benoit cannot be your second third best defenseman oh. and that's where it's really kind of fallen off uh Gio, you love Gio for all the right reasons. Uh, his dedication is, you know, his. I'm, I'm, I, I try really hard. The block, the shot blocking. He's still very intelligent, which makes up for the lack of foot speed out there. Uh, but he cannot play 18, 20 minutes a night. So this is this is where they're kind of leaking oil a little bit uh, on, on that backhand. And when when it does. Uh, when they do sustain a lot of pressure in their own zone, man, they uh, they have a tough time moving their feet, and uh, that that's one that uh, I know Brad Tree Living has addressed from training camp. But wh- where's the help coming from, and do you even have truly the assets to get it done? Yeah, I mean, you know, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of ink spilled and hot air about the Zadorov trade that that wasn't. And you know, I'm I'm not going to sit here and say he's the answer, but uh, you know, a third and a fifth uh, for somebody like that who you know doesn't change everything, but just gives you another certainly capable body. I, you know, I wonder about that. But you can also sit here and look at what the team's been and said, "Come on, Zadorov isn't uh, isn't changing the world here." I wanted to ask you about Riley specifically. There, Are you talking about him? And actually, before I say that, just one more thing on Benoit. He is the type of guy and you're, you're basically saying this, Kipper, but on a Stanley Cup contender team, he is the sixth defenseman that came out of nowhere, and we're all talking about how, you know, on some teams, this guy would be a 4-5, but he's a 6 here. He shouldn't be a, a 3. In, in terms of Riley, what, what you've seen out of him, it's, it's kind of surprising to me because all we've talked about his entire tenure in Toronto is you got to get him the right partner. You got to get him the right partner. And, okay, Brody's the right partner for him, but Brody could be the right partner for a lot of guys, and this has been the worst stretch of hockey Brody has played as a leaf if you want to continue it all the way back to the postseason but it's also been the best version of Morgan Riley we've seen kind of going back to the postseason into this year what have you seen out of him and what do you think has allowed him to kind of take these steps well not having the ideal partner that we always kind of talk about for him well first of all you just cannot picture a world today <clears throat> without Morgan Riley uh back no, there impossible uh, god imagine they didn't sign him oh my god <laughs> yeah and when you can when you consider the drop off uh, on Brody and and where that that lack of truly a number 2 or 3 is it's even more remarkable when you consider the the type of season that he's having but you know he's 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 intelligent um you know he's got he's got skill. We we know that, um, but um, I just yeah. You just wish that there was more depth for him uh, because he has to be almost perfect out there. And there are times when there's a a level of frustration for him as well um, with the lack of support uh, around him. But give him full credit. He's such a likable kid, and you know if you ask me. He is the true leader on this team, uh, you know, and I know that there's been captain debates, you know, over the years. Uh, but to me, uh, he sh- he should be wearing the C on this hockey club. Yeah, he's uh, hard to disagree watching him a lot of listen, nights. I, I don't, don't want to for sure knock. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to knock John Tavares, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, when it comes to um, you know 
truly being a leader on this team and and finding ways to make others around you uh, better, I think he's it on this hockey club. Yeah. And, you know, that, that includes uh, Matthews, you know, Willie, uh, Mitch. I mean, when it comes to those type of players, we know they all have amazing skill. We know that. But when it comes to at least trying to truly make make uh, players around you better, I, I think it's Morgan Riley for me this year. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard watching great talent like that not come together as a team. And it's I, – I know Lee fans are frustrated, that's for sure. No, th- this is not a, a today <laughs> – Yes, we are, Gipper. <laughs> this is not a today topic, but, I mean, now that you bring up the, the C, and it, it interests me to, to no end. And, and, yeah, John Tavares is probably better than he's shown, I would hope, the last five days. But clearly somebody who uh, is not – playing the same role that he played uh, initially when he scored near 50 goals, uh, making $11 million playing alongside Mitch Marner. And the the role will, I mean, he's still going to get his $11 million next year, but maybe they go into an offseason understanding his role is going to be different on that team. And if he resigns for less than that, it's going to be an even more diminished role going beyond next season. Um, Is there a scenario, though, where like John Tavares is still a Toronto Maple Leaf, but there is a transitioning of the seed to somebody else who's playing a more significant role on this team? In the last year of his deal, absolutely. No question that uh, there has to be a, a thought process of passing the torch on. And I think he's done everything that uh, he, he possibly can, can do, John, o- over the, the, the course of uh, the seven years here. Uh, he's never uh, been a 100-point guy. He never will be a point-a-game guy. I think he's, he's stood true to that. Um, but clearly, in the last little while, you can see uh, foot speed being an issue here. So uh, I think there's still capabilities of producing, no question about that. Uh, the power play has struggled, guys, and he's a big part of that. Uh, but that's not deviating from other responsibilities of Matthews and Nylander uh, and Marner. They're all they're all in this thing together. Um, but clearly... Uh, Foot speed's an issue for him. I would think as early as tonight, they're contemplating on moving him out of the center ice position, putting him back in the wing. I think there's uh, I think there's decent options out there for for Sheldon uh, to move a secondary centerman in there. I mentioned Max Domi uh, the other night. Mitch Marner and Willie Nylanders uh, came to the Leaf organization as as centermen, as guys that have played uh, a lot of their their, their years before the Leafs at, at that position. Uh, we heard Willie Nylander's name at, at center ice at training camp. Yeah, for, for a second and reason. a half. For for whatever reason, they, they never stuck with that. Uh, and they could sure use that option. Uh, if they would have stuck with it a little bit more, there would have been more of a basis to go back to it right now. But there isn't. But there is still that option. and uh, And move John to the wing. Well, I I know we we've taken you for, for too long, but you just threw that in there that like as early as tonight we could have a, another like a different second line center and John Tavares could be playing the wing. I I don't know if if they'll go to it tonight, Ben, but uh, right now it's it's an issue. Uh, John and, and Willie and and Matthew Nyes was the line that started the other night. I, I mean, do you want to see that line again tonight? No. 
no thanks, I'm good. So, yeah, that that you may we may see it tonight, mm. uh, but you know you hope that if you do, you also see it at the end of the game as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's well, well said, Kipper. We'll be watching that. It'll be intriguing, uh, as people well know. Real Kipper and Bourne, four to six p.m. on Sportsnet five ninety, the fan. And My favorite show on the 360. station. Three uh, sixty. Kipper, thanks for this, buddy. All right, thanks, guys. Have a great day. You too. He, uh, Nick Kiprios was our insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Power rank these crazy Sheldon Keefe savior job moves, mm. ripping the C off of John Tavares and giving it to not Austin Matthews, <laughs> but Morgan Riley, or playing Mitch Marner at uh, center tonight. I mean, which is the crazier savior well, job move? Obviously, the, the captain C, thing. Yeah, in the middle of the season. <laughs> John, you're out. Well, like, honestly, uh, it's like we learned so much from Marlowe and Thornton about the Sharks' ways right. and not Joe Pavelski for whatever reason, not him. We can't yeah. learn his ways, but those two guys. Yeah. Uh, Kipper loves that. Just ho-hum. I'm not saying anything. Oh, Mitch Marner might play center tonight. Oh, like he he is the king of the, oh, no news. I'm just going to say a thing here. And it's yeah. Kipper. He knows things. Yeah, obviously. That's, that's informed speculation. Um, would have been nice to, to if that was the move, mm. to to see that when the games felt less meaningful. It feels very meaningful now. They've lost four consecutive. Well, I mean, he wasn't riding a five-game pointless streak then. Jeff, we're just going to focus it on Tavares, right? Right. Like when Tavares and but William there's Nylander a reason the league on fire. You don't sure that's true. But yeah, there was a reason why they. They had the thought process of William Nylander up the middle. And part of it might have been contract ploy negotiating stuff that, like, yeah, the, the tinfoil hat theory that, like, hey, he, he was going to fail. Yeah, 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 then we could really hold him back. He didn't fail at anything. No. Now he's failing. I was going to say, like, <laughs> the second he got the money. And I don't I don't believe that it's Nylander got paid and he puts the feet up. I don't think that's what happened. But, God, it's bad timing for him. That's... He wanted to have a big night in his in his hometown. Be a good night as any. Uh, well, thank you to Kipper for that. Mm, Always. That good fodder. That's very That's good. good. All right. Uh, ahead of the 2024 Rogers NHL All-Star Game this year, we will be giving away family four packs of tickets to the NHL Fanfare coming to Toronto February 1st through the 4th. Just listen for the daily code word in episodes of the Fan Morning Show today until January 26th. Then you text it to 590-590 to be entered for a chance to win. Today's code word is NHL. Our next code word will be in tomorrow's episode. However, tickets to the fanfare are also available for purchase at NHL.com slash fanfare while supplies last. When we come back, Pascal Siakam, no longer a Toronto Raptor. We'll talk to Taz Melas of uh, No Dunks next as the fan morning show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Scott, I was the guy I was really close with. Uh, you know, our relationship, relationship just kept going. Uh, you know, been here since before I got here. Um, 
You know, I talk to him about a lot of things, watch him um, come every day, ready to work, show up, be happy. Um, just bring a joyful spirit every day to practice, no matter through the ups, through the downs. You know, what he meant to this organization, he loved it. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brian Gunning. That was Scotty Barnes after yesterday's beatdown of the Miami Heat, which started as a beatdown, ended up as a beatdown. There's a couple of moments there in the third and fourth quarter. You're like, ooh. That's Heat culture, actually. They keep it close. I guess. I don't think that's what they mean. Uh, they lost by more than 20 yesterday. <laughs> the, the Raptors snap a four-game losing streak, and they start the post-Pascal Siakam era on the right foot as he is now an Indiana Pacer officially, uh, as the Raptors uh, consummate the trade, uh, acquiring Bruce Brown, uh, Jordan Noir, two 2024 first-round picks and a 2026 first-round pick, which is top four protected. All right, let's talk to Taz Melas of the No Dunks podcast. How's it going, Taz? I'm doing well, Ben. Brent, how are you guys? Doing doing well. So this is this is the, the new-look Raptors, and, and no offense to Chris Boucher, but they've totally separated themselves from the championship team in 2019, uh, Pascal Siakam, the last remaining uh, strand that you can attach to that team. Uh, let's let's look back before we look forward first. Uh, Taz, how will you remember Pascal? Where do, where does he fit into the hierarchy of all-time Raptor greats? Oh yeah, that's a tough one. I, I mean, first off, I will just thank. Yeah, it's sad. Last man standing gone. Uh, he's. Uh, I will remember him as a self-made man. Uh, South Millie player, you know, when he was drafted at the 27th spot, it just didn't look like he was going to be anything spectacular. It didn't seem that way. Uh, but yeah, having talked to him, having, having seen him through all this, he's just a great dude. Uh, when, when all is said and done, you know, the title doesn't get done without the, the other leaders, but who was the, the number two guy on that team it's in game one of that world and that finals, it was Pascal Siakam. Uh, it was an amazing team. Uh, that he was a part of this. They all took turns being the number two guys and Lowry and, and Van Vliet at times. Uh, so I'll just remember him as, as a special person, how he ranks. It looks like he's a top five uh, Raptor at this point, um, which is kind of bonkers to say with all the greats that have been there. Uh, but I'll just remember him and uh, taking over and becoming going from a number 27 pick to an all NBA and all-star player is hard to do in basketball. So I'll remember him just becoming an incredible player that the Pacers are extremely happy to get. Yeah. I think uh, it's obviously an end of an era. And I think people look at that from the title team, but I mean, I can go ahead and extrapolate it all the way back to DeRozan and Lowry. And, you know, it's not that the franchise didn't have its moments before those two, like, you know, we remember Vince and the shot lipping out against the Sixers and, you know, Chris Bosh had his moments here as well, but it's just this era of Raptors basketball. And, you know, I don't want to pour dirt on what the franchise can be. I love the direction it's taken with Barnes and quickly and Barrett, but you go back to 15, 16 when, you know, they, they win their first series with DeRozan and Lowry there and think that it's a organization that missing the playoffs is unacceptable as opposed to a likely possibility at the beginning of series. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to take this day away from Siakam, but he's just such a big part of it, of just what this era of Raptors basketball was able to do. And again, like you're someone who knows it from the jump and the Sprite zone and, and all of those things that it's kind of remarkable to see what that group of players was able to do just in terms of kind of raising the, the not the expectations but almost the floor for what's now acceptable for this franchise 
Absolutely, and it's unfortunate. What what isn't acceptable is a sprite zone. They got to bring that back, as you said. <laughs> uh, just 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 a quick fin dog, a five dollar bill, ten dollar bill gets you into the game, <laughs> uh, which is totally different now. But uh, people were excited to be in that stadium way back when, and uh, and they were excited to see the bench bros from that team, as Pascal Siakam and Jakob Pertl were were extreme friends uh, back then. Just everybody coming off the bench and growing into who they are, you know, Fred Van Vliet growing into who he is being the starting point guard now for the Houston Rockets. Uh, it was, uh, it, yeah, an incredible time and uh, such a special ride getting to that title, which is just bonkers to sit back and think of, you know, covering the NBA and watching what's happening with the Clippers and uh, Kawhi Leonard signing an extension. And then that's when they decide, Oh yeah, we've got a stadium opening. This is when we sell our season seats because Kawhi Leonard signs that extension. The fact that that, person is there after just one year in Toronto who he's, and he was able to turn it into a championship of, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to watch what they're going to become, but it's, it's really like looking at Kawhi's career, seven years with the Spurs, one year with the Raptors, it's going to be seven with the Clippers. It's going to be a sandwich there where the Raptors just fit mm-hmm. uh, right into the middle. Uh, it's, it's astonishing that it became a, a title and it's, it's really, it's, uh, it's something that people got to, put a great movie together about. I know we all have seen it and people uh, covering the league have written books about it, but there's got to be a good doc about the 2019 championship one more time. It's just that does not happen very often. As again, as I said, a guy comes for one season and we talk about the top five Raptors ever. Kawhi can fit in there if you want him to, because that's the only title. And uh, although he just wanted to be there for one year and he wanted to get the heck out, um, it's astonishing. And uh, Pascal was a big part of that. Yeah. Maybe like a limited TV series. Like I know winning time, like they didn't make it sure. to the end. It was canceled, but like something like that. I don't know. Yeah. I'd yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I as well would like to, to relive all things. A 2019 Raptors. Drake uh, could play himself. It'd be great. <laughs> that would be great. Uh, so the return to ask like three first round picks that, that stands out, but two of them being in this draft that the Raptors have already told us they're not that interested in because they traded their first round pick away. For Jakob Pertl and Bruce Brown, he's okay. He's a, he's a rotation piece on that that Pacers team, and he's a champion from a year ago. What what did you make of the return and trade? Yeah, so interesting. I would say that the Pacers felt like they overpaid, air quotes, in in relation to any other team in the NBA because it doesn't feel like three draft picks are traded. Period. Uh, this day in the NBA, for somebody who could be a rental. Uh, in theory, but I know the, the Pacers are thinking we get our greats by making great trades. That's how they got Tyrese Halliburton, and they're just scared to go um, into free agency looking for a star and trying to pay him. When Pascal Siakam, you know, he's one of the top few, could be the top free agent when all is said and done uh, that is available. So they decided to do this in three draft picks. You know, what really matters is what they turned it into. We'll see what they turned it into. But it is scary for the Raps because they got three players in this. Uh, the, the, the Pelicans snuck one in there to join uh, Bruce Brown and uh, Jordan Wara. They also snuck in Kyra, uh, who is a uh, – Kyra was a draft pick a few years ago for the New Orleans Pelicans, and they just squeezed him in there. Kyra Lewis is uh, a, a really, really fast point guard but the Pelicans wanted to get under the luxury tax. So they snuck him in and sent a second pick to the Pacers. And that's how he got to the Raptors. So the Raptors have a point guard and Jordan Wara and Bruce Brown, who may not be with the team next year. 
all three guys, and that's that's the scary part. Uh, not, uh, Bruce Brown is a very very solid player, and and having been uh, watching with the having been to Denver last year during the NBA Finals and watching him sort of be this vocal. Uh, charismatic guy. He was really key for them, and uh, that's why they went and got him. He helped them uh, win a championship. They they stole him um, on a, on a good deal from Brooklyn, and I could see him working extremely well. As this team just wants to drive and kick, drive and kick, drive and kick. And uh, last night, as we saw the three pointers raining down, um, and they're playing five guys out. It's it's interesting to see what they're going to do in the future because they gave up. This first round pick that from them, uh, that's top six protected for Jakob Pertle. And uh, I wonder how long Pertle's going to be with the team if they if they want to be a sort of a more of a, a five guys out type team. And uh, the first round pick that it is top six protected. So maybe it's uh, <laughs> uh, it'll work out in uh, for them because they could be an easily a top six team with the lottery. So uh, there's that interesting part uh, of it as well. But uh, I think the team is going to be, um, even though they're not going to have an incredible 40 games here to end the season, uh, I think it's kind of the time to work uh, with Barnes, Barrett, and quickly really just to see how how they work. And they're going to work extremely well, as we saw last night uh, for Darko Ryakovich in that drive kick, drive kick, drive kick, and win that thing as they uh, destroyed the heat. Yeah, I think normally when people talk about addition by subtraction, you think of it as a player who's a malcontent or really gumming things up. And I don't think that was happening at all. But I think that everyone in the franchise and, you know, from us who talk about it to the players themselves realized something had to give. And it was almost this just kind of weight hanging over things. And, you know, I don't want to put too much on one game last night, but boy, it's and, you know, it's easy to look good when shots are falling, but certainly looked like everyone was playing just a, a touch more free last night. You know, you're, you're kind of the perfect guy to ask uh, what I'm about to ask you about here, Taz, because, you know, obviously you have a really good understanding of the market, but, you know, you you keep tabs on the league at large and, you know, you're, you're aware of how things are perceived outside of it is, what do you think this does to the perception of the Raptors front office? Because, you know, we always hear the idea of a five-year grace period after a title, and, you know, I'm not going to go as far as to say that, that Masai and Bobby were, were testing that, but I think we were getting there with the idea of, well, there were trades we could make and letting Van Vliet walk for nothing and the first for Pirtle. What do you think this does to the perception of the the Raptors front office after this trade? Because this was the kind of, I won't say final shoot a job because they could still trade Gary Trent Jr. We mentioned Brown or those picks could go into play, but this was the biggest uh, domino that was left to fall for the Raps. I think really what it comes down to is that uh, Masai is, is smart enough to go and get the best package back for a player. Uh, and the five-year idea after a championship is is always tough, um, but they hung on as, they, uh, as long as they possibly could. And Pascal Siakam, I'm sure, as an individual, is thinking, I'm turning 30 here uh, before free agency. This is my last time to get a monster deal. And he arrived at the door of the perfect team to do that. Um, and... The Pacers will be willing to give him plenty of money as they need a big to, to complement uh, what's going on with Tyrese Halliburton. But Masai Ujiri decided it, we, we only got one future here. And um, to give Pascal uh, a huge, huge contract where he's, you know, was sort of being pushed into the number one role for years and years after the championship, um, 
it, it just wouldn't suit the, the future. So I think Masai is just looked at as a, a person who is obviously willing to just cut what they've got um, to suit himself and suit the fans for the future. So I, I think it's just, it's just an intelligent um, type of mentality that they held on. Uh, you know, we've got, we had a four and a half year run with Pascal trying to do his thing, but it is time to move on for Messiah in the front office and, uh, and look at Scotty Barnes and, and see, and the great example is what he did yesterday in the fourth quarter when it was mm-hmm. fourth quarter Scotty. Uh, he was uh, phenomenal uh, taking Bam Manabayo down in the post and just setting up three after three after three after three. Uh, so really it, it's, it's a new era in the, in the Barrett quickly and Barnes era here to see how they can put things together. But Messiah needed to cut it at some point and, and right now getting something back for Siakam made sense. Yep, and according to Grange, there's a Western Conference unnamed executive who at least thought that, that some of the thinking around the Siakam trade happening now is that, yeah, there's a thought process that maybe the offers get worse the, the closer you get to the deadline instead of the opposite, which is uh, normally true as you approach a trade deadline. All right, before we let you go, Tazzy, you mentioned the great game that, that uh, Scotty Barnes had yesterday and the great season he's had overall. What is what is the ceiling of a team where Scotty Barnes is their best player? And is it face of the league, like the coach said? <laughs> I think there's a chance. Um, I know Darko Ryakovich was in... Uh, was in a mood. I, I think Darko was just playing it safe. I mean, he just wanted to yell about the referees, and then when he mm-hmm. he decided, oh yeah, I got to defend my man Scotty. I'm going to call him face of the league. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I yeah, I think I think that Darko was just playing playing the audience there. There will be a day when Scotty Barnes um, is the face of the Raptors, and I know he's becoming that already. And and we're seeing him like he was just taking uh, a bam. Who is a center? Who is a, an extremely capable center? Could be the the Team USA center this year in the Olympics. He was taking him down to the post and doing things. Now, what is the what is the ceiling? That that that's the puzzling part is because as much as I love uh, Barnes, as much as I love quickly as a point guard, as much as I, as I love Barrett, who I think was given a little tribute to Pascal Siakam with the spin after spin after spin yesterday in that game. They're all sort of question marks in terms of how great they can become. I, I think it's it's a far more interesting and fun team to watch right now because of that um, than what they were trying to do with Fred and Siakam. They have a lot of potential. Now, what, what that means next year, the, the hope is that they'll be a 50-win team and it'll be a, a solid playoff team, and I don't see why that couldn't happen. Uh, I am interested to see the future of Jakob on this team because yesterday they started a center who could shoot that thing with uh, Jonte Porter out there and everybody was stretched out. So I, I will say a 50-win team is the hope for next year and uh, you go from there. Uh, that would be nice. Uh, it's certainly a more watchable team than it uh, was the beginning of this season and basically all of last season. Uh, Taz, I uh, appreciate the time. Thanks for this. All right, guys. See you. Taz Mellis. No Dunks podcast. Raptors back in action. Back end to back to backs. It's just the, the parade of former Raptors coming to town. Mm-hmm. DeMar DeRozan, the Chicago Bulls tonight after Kyle Lowry and the Miami Heat get their 
heads caved in yesterday. And a former Raptor had to leave the Pacers to make room for Siakam. I don't know if you saw that. James Johnson, who they who they signed after their dust up with the Bucks regarding the the, the holiest game ball in the history of the NBA. Right. Uh, in the in season tournament, or no, not in the in season tournament, whatever it was. Uh, James Johnson was signed, and then they had to wave him yesterday. So, like all things, you know, DeRozan had to leave to make room for Kawhi, and in Indiana, James Johnson has to leave to make room well, for, for I mean, Pascal. And yeah, it's like yeah, there, there's so many ancillary pieces of this. Jordan Mora and and you know, Kyra Lewis, yeah, Coloquo getting waved. Christian Coloquo, former second round pick, a guy that's dealt with respiratory problems this season. He's been waived, but Grange indicated that he could still remain with this team. I think. His offensive upside, his NBA future is yeah. very much in doubt. But yeah, the, at don't times tell that to Blake Murphy. I feel like he'd be upset you hearing. Well, that. but I, th- I think yeah, for a team that has at times needed a big man, mm-hmm. yeah, it could have it would have been interesting to see him in a year which we've now conceded is primarily about development. Despite the fact that I I, I know Taz like uh, positioned it as a positive thing mm. that the Raptors could hold on to their top six pick. It's a bad thing. Yes. We've- <laughs> We talked about that ad nauseum. It's not good because it means that they have to convey the pick next season mm-hmm. in a better draft, yep. although... No, but again, it's good now because they have two right. picks in it. Re- they reversed the thinking on that. It actually, You know what? Maybe Masai has just been watching college basketball this year. He's like, you know what? Never mind. Forget my previous <laughs> thinking on the matter. No, the next franchise superstar exists and will be playing in March this year. So, yeah, no, we're we, this we're actually all in on the 2024 draft. I mean, the most interesting part of this is, like, the ceiling around a team where Scotty Barnes That's is it. the best and most important player. Um, he's very good. He's having an incredible season. And the progression this year compared to the stagnation that we saw last year is extremely encouraging. I think Taz put it correctly. It's like, yeah, he's great. Like, it's a mm-hmm. really good player. I don't think anybody like any like the Raptors weren't doing with Pascal Siakam. Nobody's saying that Scotty Barnes is going to be the best player on a championship team. I don't think we're doing that. Can he be a very good player on it? Can he be a rotation player? Can he be a starter on a championship team? Yep. But wh- what are what are we doing here? Like where oh. where's the end result here? Well, I'm not. I I think the end result is still very TBD with what happens with Scotty Barnes over this year and next season. I'm not sitting here saying... Oh, you're saying he can be the best player on a championship team. I I mean, if he's the face of the league, he can be. It's in the cards. He is, what, 22 years old? I'm not ready to you know, definitively state what he can't be. I think, I don't think it's a lock that he becomes that, but I think there was no way it was going to happen while him and Pascal were playing patty cake with who has the reins of this team. Jason Tatum might not even be the best player on a championship team. Jason Tatum's amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, nobody's confusing Jason Tatum with Scotty Barnes. Yeah, but I also don't think that Jason Tatum, the Celtics haven't won a title yet because of Jason Tatum. I look at the, you know, the problems him and Jalen Brown have had kind of sharing the reins there and the, what it's they've not, done not jason tatum well no but i i okay i just feel different i guess i just feel differently about that i think there is in a world where lebron james doesn't exist and mm-hmm. that's kind of the world we live in now i think that that club of who gets to be the best player on a championship team gets to be way bigger than it was in an era with kd and lebron in my opinion not it's not 20 guys mm-hmm. but it's not five like it was before i think it's like I mean, it's the MVPs. It's it's Nikola Jokic. It's yeah. Giannis Antetokounmpo. It's maybe Joel Embiid and like. Woof. So the Celtics can't win a title, like definitively. There's no way it no, could happen. No, I mean it could. It hasn't happened yet. No, and it like hasn't. Tatum is like on that borderline, yeah. right? Like that's what we're talking about with Scotty. Yeah. Like, can Scotty Barnes get to that level? Woo! 
you 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 don't think it can happen? I think it could. In a world where the, in of limitless possibilities, sure. with a, a 27th overall selection turned into a second team All NBA yep. player and a franchise icon, sure, it's possible. And you're right; he's only 22 years old. He's going to be 23 this summer. But things happen fast. Like Jason Tatum's also not yep. 100 years old; he's like 25. I just don't think the die is cast on on Scotty Barnes yet as him definitively not being able to be that guy. I actually, if you're going to ask me who the questions are, it's like I have more of a problem squinting and seeing quickly or Barrett as the two uh, option on a championship team than I do have a pro, or I have a harder time seeing that than I do Scotty Barnes as the one. I think, but if if the Scotty Barnes things happen, like the other stuff can take care of itself. Like if Scotty Barnes is the best player on a championship yeah. team, then who who cares? Like you figure it out. Like you got an MVP. You're talking about Scotty yeah. Barnes being a, an MVP candidate. Yep. Would I? Not quite there. Yeah. I'm not putting him there, but I'm not saying it can't happen either. That's all yeah. I'm saying. Right, That's all opt- I'm saying. Optimistic dude. For once. All right. All right don't worry. I'll, you'll be gone tomorrow, and I'll be back. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking tomorrow off. You'll be back tomorrow. I'll be back on Monday. This has been the Fan Morning Show. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590 Fan. Good morning. Good morning.